You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. So welcome again. Another week where we can actually get our feet dirty in the snark of faith and news and politics and all of the craziness that tends to happen on a weekly basis here. So welcome here. Welcome. I hope your Tuesday is going well or whenever you're listening to us, if you're listening to us over podcasts, I hope insert whatever day that you're in is going well. And as, as this show is being recorded on the week of Thanksgiving, I am here to offer you, offer you something, offer you something, hopefully that will be helpful because, because I know for many of you out there, I know for many of you out there, uh, Thanksgiving is 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 going to feel like stepping into unfriendly a hostile territory, unfriendly hostile territory, right? You're you're going behind enemy lines in many areas in order to have Thanksgiving. Like you are going to be crying out, "Build a wall of mashed potatoes and gravy." You are going to want to avoid avoid the crazy conversations that are going to happen around the table because especially for those of you that have conservative or religious family members that you're going to be encountering, you know it's going to happen. You know they know how to make it awkward because that's just what they do. People that are incredible at making social encounters as awkward as possible and as least social as possible. So yeah, Thanksgiving. Used to be a time, I don't know if it's ever been a time that's been actually wonderful and reflective, but, 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 all I'm going to say is, in the age of Trump, it's a hell of a lot worse. So here's how we're going to kind of break down the show today, especially because, especially because uh, you were very fortunate, who, uh, those of you out there who are, are my dear listeners, because simply, Stuart recorded, a guy, uh, Stuart recorded me, Stuart Deloney, recorded an interview uh, with Justin T. Miller that we will have for the good part of our show. Uh, and why you are fortunate, uh, you're going to be fortunate for two reasons. A, number one, A, uh, Justin is doing some amazing work with his organization, Care for AIDS. Um, they're doing, yes, you're going to hear a story. And and it it is a story that that oftentimes I know on our show that we like to highlight the bad news of what's going on so we can kind of talk about the crazy that's going on within Christianity. But but today I actually want to spend some time speaking about the good things that are happening within Christianity. We'll still, we'll still do the bad. We'll still do the Christian crazy of the week. So don't worry, don't worry. You're going to have the bad and you're going to have the good. So a good part of our show is going to be, yes, 
is going to be given over to Justin T. Miller. And why why this interview is good, as I was mentioning again, is A, it is a great interview. Justin is an awesome guy, and his ministry that he's doing in Africa is, is fascinating. Um, I think you're going to find interest in it. And two, Stuart also, me, your host, speaking to himself about himself in the third person, uh, Stuart is actually sick. So I have... Four children, as most of you know out there. And if you don't know, hey, I have four children. Wow, yeah. And and when you have kids, even if you have older kids, I've got kids that are middle school and high school age, they still do the thing where they bring in sickness and diseases into your house as much as you want to stay well and clean. It's just not going to happen. And I have been the last holdout in our house of six. And I have a cold. I'm going to beat it. I'm going to beat it. But, 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 the Stuart you're listening to right now is less articulate than the Stuart you will listen to in the interview that we have with Justin T. Miller as we talk about care for AIDS. So, now that you've heard my trials and troubles, uh, what we're going to do here is, yeah, I'm leaning on our show. We're going to go through the bad news. We're going to go through the good news because this is kind of how you're going to survive Thanksgiving. We've done shows of this in past years where we've kind of tried to help you figure out how to survive Thanksgiving. And this year, we're going to do the same. So, beginning at the beginning, at the very onset of our show, we're going to go through some craziness that you're going to hear. So, our Christian crazy this week is going to kind of focus on stuff that you may hear around the Thanksgiving table. Just so you're prepared. And, and, and it, this is going to vary. This is going to vary in, in how crazy or nutty it is. So, I'm trying to what we would call uh, orient you. We're trying to kind of give you some sort of like orientation therapy here where you're able to hear a bunch of crazy so that you're not going to be shocked when someone says, uh, oh, can you pass the green bean casserole? And also, who did you vote for? Or who are you going to vote for in 2020? You know, those kind of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got you covered. We got you covered on that. We absolutely have you covered. And then we're going to descend into good news. The good news part of what we're talking about after the Christian crazy, after the bad news, we're going to descend onto the good things that are happening within faith. So that even though you may have conservative folks sitting across the table from you on Thanksgiving, telling you all sorts of crazy stuff, the information I'm handing you is something that's going to help you in the background of your mind to be able to say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Keep talking, keep talking, Mr. Crazy. Okay, okay, yeah. Oh, but I have a hope in something that's greater. So we're going to talk about the goodness that is happening within Christianity also, focusing on our show. You got it? You got it? That's kind of how we're laying this out on a week where your host is a little sick and trying to preserve his voice as much as possible. You got it? Bad news, Christian crazy, and good news. I think that's pretty easy. Even on, even on a week where a lot of you guys are not going to be working. I think it's a pretty easy concept to grab. So, without further ado, let's hop into the bad. Let's go ahead and rip that bayonet off with the Christian Crazy of the Week. Here we go. Lord have mercy. The Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. So, sitting at your... Thanksgiving table. I'm going to try to give you like a smattering of crazy Christian folks that you may be 
finding yourself looking there eye to eye, toe to toe across the table or asking to pass the gravy. So the first one is the most obvious one. It's the most annoying one. It's the conspiracy theory. It's the conspiracy theory hound that thinks that they have read this on social media and have figured out something that's going to crack the code and everyone's going to think it's amazing and awesome and it's going to blow your mind and it won't because you know it's effing insane. Yeah, that kind of person? Well, guess what? We've got an example of that right here with Mark Taylor, who is known as the firefighter prophet. Not really exactly sure why, because I think he kind of likes making fires. Because Mark here is explaining to us really how we need to look at Jimmy Carter, the present Jimmy Carter's new fall. Jimmy Carter, uh, they said he fell. Well, he had a black eye. Well, we all know what the black eye means. You know what I mean? Uh, well, do you share that with those that might not know what that well, means? I mean, so yes, Mark Taylor, what does a black eye from falling down mean? Is there a sign involved besides the fact that Jimmy Carter's old and he fell down? But it's obviously something, right? Huh? It's, it's a sign of Illuminati, a sign of, of you know what I mean, uh, of the cabal, their allegiance to it, you know? And so, I mean, uh, I mean, somebody else can go into more detail than that than I can. But, I mean, we all know what that sign means. They said he got it in a fall. Okay, I, I'll give the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he did. So, yes. So, Mark Taylor is off his rocker. He's effing nuts. He's crazy. But you may encounter folks that are like this on Thanksgiving. And the best way to be able to handle this is not really to ask questions. It's just to go, uh-huh, uh-huh, oh, wow, and leave it at that. And leave it at that. Try to get out. Try to get out. I mean, think about this. You were essentially just trying to get out as fast as possible. Because with these kind of folks... There ain't nothing. There's nothing that you're going to do to get out of this scenario. So really just kind of like, oh, spill your drink. Oh, no, I, I need to leave right now. Yeah, yeah. If you get cornered by them, that is an emergency scenario. Make up whatever you need to do to get out of there. Those are the crazy conspiracy folks you may encounter. But there's others that you may encounter, too. Like Sam Rohrer, who's worried about the election. Uh, Jim, I think really what's at stake is, uh, it, it, it depends on how you look at it, one, it could really, in fact, be will religious freedom, will civil freedom as we have come to enjoy it in this nation, will that look like it does now, will that remain, and then, but I'm going to go underneath of that even further, uh, because I'm going to say, will God's blessing that has been on this nation Will it turn to final judgment upon this nation for what we have been doing? And it's my concern, Jim, that if we prayed for what we actually deserved, hmm. we wouldn't be sitting here right now. I am praying for the mercy of God upon this nation, but it's got to be led by God's people. You, so you've got conspiracy theorists. You've got folks that are also going to be peddling end times fear mongering fear-mongering of the end times where oh no it's gonna get worse and scripture proves it yeah you're gonna have those folks but you're also gonna have these because it doesn't get crazier than jim baker and and i do this not simply just because mockery of jim baker is always warranted it's always delightful it's always welcome yeah yeah you can't mock jim baker enough there's really no limit to it but Jim Baker, 
Jim Baker. Why Jim Baker is special in our Christian crazy is the fact that Jim Baker is all of insanity Christianity, like all like it's kind of like stuffed into one. He's kind of like the turducken of craziness. You've got chicken, you've got turkey, you've got duck, and you've got all squished together. Jim, Jim is here to help you. So if you're willing to get ready for the crazy, you need to be able to listen to a little bit of Jim. Let's just go ahead and like, you know, turn the dial. Let's just turn in and, and listen to Jim's, Jim's good thoughts, good thoughts of the day of the day. What does Jim have to say about Trump? Because you're going to hear something about Trump and Christmas and Christmas. You need this. You it, it hurts. It hurts me to give this to you, but it's good for you. You need to hear it now so you're not surprised later. I'm afraid if things keep going the other direction, even Christmas will be outlawed. They, bought, they tried to outlaw it already. You'd know that. Nope. In fact, the stores for a couple of years ago weren't allowed to say Merry Christmas. Did you know that? That's not right. true. That, I'm serious. Here in Branson. That's right. One of the greeters at one of the big stores here, mm-hmm. she said, can't say Merry Christmas anymore. It's against the law. The but law. they changed it. But we complained and the people watch our show <laughs> yes. called and, and contacted their stores and, and other people got in on the bandwagon and it turned around yes. and we can say Merry Christmas. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's good. That's good. <laughs> and you may not, you may not, love our president but i'll tell you one thing he says it yes he does you can say merry christmas as long as i'm president (laughs) (laughs) now for those of you that may have not been fully desensitized towards the insanity that you may have that is going to sit across from you at the thanksgiving day dinner table. I'm going to give you some pure, unadulterated insanity. This is Jim Baker turning up the fire hose to 11 and just totally just irradiating you with insanity. Here you go. If you can handle this, you can handle everything. I believe in you. Those who hate the cross, they hate Trump. And there is a spirit of antichrist in the world right now. Do you not sense that spirit? I think it's so critical that people really understand why the hatred. Why is this? It's not normal. Well, it's because they've been working for 100 years to get to their one world governmental system. And all of a sudden, this guy by the name of Trump comes along and he starts campaigning against their globalistic system. And the first thing he did was pull us out of the Paris Climate Change Accord, which was... And that was their plan for world government because climate is international. The air doesn't stop at the border. The water doesn't stop at the border. Mm -hmm. So you have to have international law to control climate. Well, they plan to have international law that would control every nation. And they actually have put together a plan to be completed by 2030, uh, which all the nations signed on to, that we're going to go together. We're going to give everybody a global ID. Uh, by 2030, I mean, they've got this thing all planned out. Well, when Trump comes along and upsets their apple cart, he pulled, he pulled out the Trans-Pacific Partnership. That's the re- 
You know, even Republicans have not been hated like this guy. But it's because he was against their one world government. And this hatred is deeper than human. It's satanic. Yes. Uh, I mean, it is so satanic because Satan hates it that Trump is messing up his plans. Right. Yes. Yes. That's what's really Now, after all that insanity, let's get to something a little more helpful. Now, I know that we like to poke fun and be snarky at the craziness or the insanity within Christianity. But what I want to highlight this week, as I mentioned earlier, is, is the good things that are happening. Like, where are those glimmers of hope? Where do we see God moving? Where do we see people doing goodness in the name of Jesus? And oftentimes, it's really hard to find. Because, <laughs> of course... We live in America, and Christianity is, is, is synonymous with insanity right now. And we're going to get to our interview with Justin T. Miller, um, the, one of the co-founders of Care for AIDS, who actually has a new book out called Beyond Blood. And we are also doing this because in the next couple days, we're going to have December 1st. And December 1st is World AIDS Day. And ever since 1988, uh, December 1st has been International World uh, AIDS Day. It's been dedicated to raising awareness about AIDS um, and also remembering those that have died from it. So we are going to be kind of recognizing that and talking to Justin about the work that they are doing in Eastern Africa. Before we get to that, I actually want to talk through something that's actually happening on our own shores. And this comes from an article called, Yes, in God's Backyard, to Use of Church Land for Affordable Housing. This comes from religious, a religion news service, um, the yeah, religious, religionnews.com. And uh, it's from Alejandra Molina. And this is something that I found very, very interesting because the city that I live within, uh, whether you're listening to us locally or beyond, I live in the city of Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and affordable housing is is always a big uh, piece of conversation. And oftentimes, the church can be very, mm, I'm going to be nice today, can be very inward thinking and on worst days incredibly selfish when the church thinks about its own preservation versus the needs of the community. But this article is something that I find that is really, really interesting and cool that is happening in California. And let me go ahead and quote from this article. Faith congregations across California are, resp are responding to the state's housing crisis by sharing their parking lots with people living um, in their cars, providing mobile showers for the homeless, and joining their neighbors in calling for rent control in their communities. So that's also good that's happening. But the article continues saying, but another form of housing advocacy has been taking place amongst spaces of faith. So there is a number of churches that are out there that are trying to figure out how to be able to use their own church property to be able to bless people. And it's a movement that is being referred to as Y-I-G-B-Y, or yes, in God's backyard. And that acronym is in response to a, another acronym that was floating, the N-I-M-B-Y, the not in my backyard, term that was used to describe com community pushbacks uh, that are against affordable housing 
in similar areas. Now, what is beginning to happen into these churches in California, they are responding to the great need that is happening in California with the homeless. Uh, whereas housing, the cost of housing goes up, 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 up. Um, and in California, it is ridiculous. But also, we see this on the East Coast uh, in Chapel Hill as well, where it is, it is ridiculously expensive to live in these communities. And the article continues saying this. About four years ago, Claremont Lutheran Church uh, members in San Diego decided they needed to do something about the housing crisis affecting their community. The church was part of an interfaith shelter network in which congregants open their spaces for a certain length of time uh, to house families in crisis. There's churches I know that are in the Raleigh-Durham area where we live here that also do that. But these churches took it a step further. So I'm going to continue quoting here. As a church uh, made plans to redevelop its fellowship hall, they also sought to include affordable housing as part of that project. So the church proposed building a number of affordable housing apartments on part of their existing parking lots. Now, in many ways, you've heard me rage against the fact that the church in America um, in, has become more concerned with itself than it has been with the community around it. The church exists in many ways to be able to continue to fund itself, and that ends up being a big problem. What we're seeing happen here um, in California is that leaders are seeing their faith and they're also seeing an issue in their community and they're also saying, hey, how can our churches help this? And they're beginning to think about the church property in a different way, especially in regards to affordable housing for the homeless, which to me feels like something that is a breath of fresh air a breath of fresh air. And also, like in Northern California, other churches are, this is catching on, St. Paul's Episcopal Church uh, in Walnut Creek is going to open affordable housing complex in December or January this year where they are also using spaces on their property to build and create housing for those that need them. St. Paul's Episcopal Church is actually, yes, they're opening 45 affordable housing apartments to people in an area that is incredibly expensive in the Berkeley area. And I find this, I find the fact that the church in certain small areas are using its imagination and its resources to be able to answer the cry for those who are hurting and marginalized and in need. And as you're going to hear in my interview that I'm going to have too uh, with Justin T. Miller, I feel like nowadays, in many places, not, not everywhere, but especially when we talk about in the American spaces, the American church has forgotten its, its first goal. And that's a problem. And we, we, we've talked about this, you know, and, and ad nauseum on, on the show. But that the church has forgotten why it exists in America in many ways. And it's forgotten that it exists to be able to bless the people and the community around it. Not just the congregants, the community. And what we've seen that's happening in California with affordable housing and what we're going to see when we talk about with Justin Miller here, I believe, I firmly believe for the church to continue to be relevant today in our modern culture, we are going to have to continue to be innovative. We're going to have to continue to be sacrificial. We're going to have to continue to dream big. 
to be able to answer the problems that we're dealing with in the world today. Because in America, we have a growing uh, issue with income inequality, where the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer, that we're going to have to rectify. We're going to have to deal with this. We also have issues with climate change that are going to continue to cause more and more problems in the world at large today. But the place that gives me the most hope is here, where the church is using its imagination to answer the questions of the day. This is where the church matters the most. And this is where God is moving the most in the church. It's where the church has answers, tangible, tangible, non-judgmental, non-a-hole answers to the problems of today. The church is able to say, we are willing to go here and we are willing to help you because we see a problem, we see a need, and we believe Jesus would go there. And I feel like that story is a great setup to be able to talk about Justin Miller and his missions work that they have done in Kenya and beyond to be able to deal with the crisis that continues with AIDS. So let's, let's go ahead and hop in with that interview. Here we go. Well, I've got the pleasure today of sitting down here with Justin Miller. Justin Miller is one of the co-creators of Care for AIDS. And so Justin's going to be here to talk uh, with us about his organization, his journey, where he's been, and also his new book that is out. It just came out in October, Beyond Blood, Hope and Humanity in the Forgotten Fight for AIDS. Justin, welcome. Welcome to the show. Hey, Stuart. I'm, great. I'm glad, glad to be here. Grateful. So what we're hoping today, too, Justin, is I, I want you just to kind of educate us and walk us a little bit through your story because um, I, I really want to know this. Like, how does, how does a guy from Fayetteville, Georgia end up like co-founding an organization combating AIDS in East Africa? Because that's, that's not a typical like point from a, you know, a to B kind of a line there too. So yeah, tell us about your journey to East Africa. Yeah, that, that's a very mysterious part of my journey and, and unexpected. I really, if you'd asked me 15 years ago, where was the likelihood that you'll be working on addressing a major social and health crisis around the world, uh, I would have given that a next to zero kind of percentage chance. And yet here I am, uh, having spent the better part of a third of my life uh, working on this epidemic, which is it was pretty remarkable. The, the short, the slightly shortened version of this story is that at 18 years old, I was sitting in an auditorium in Chicago, Illinois, where for the first time I really was confronted with the realities of HIV and AIDS and just the devastation that it was creating around the world. And in that context, I heard the statistic that only 6% of the church felt that it was incumbent upon them to do anything about HIV and AIDS. And it was actually Bono who was sharing that statistic. And he said, when I heard that, I realized why I never liked the church. Mm. And I was very, saddened by that and and personally convicted that I was in that 94% that didn't know or care about what was happening with HIV and AIDS around the world. And that set me on this journey to learn more, started off just talking to people, researching organizations, and it ultimately led me to Kenya nine months later to do a documentary about HIV and AIDS. And in the process of filming that, my eyes were open to the reality of it 
and what I thought was a possible intervention that could alleviate a ton of suffering in this area and hopefully point people to Jesus in a really um, dignifying and biblical way. And so I ended up teaming up with two Kenyan pastors, and they're my co-founders and co-authors of the book, to found this organization, Care for AIDS. And and that was how we started on this journey. And here we are now 12 years into this Care for AIDS experiment, and we've seen so much impact and transformation and continue to just try to, to steward that and, and continue to grow. So, so, so yeah, let's go ahead and talk about this. Let's talk about Care for AIDS. Like, like give us a picture of, of what, what kind of scope you guys um, have on the ground there. What, what kind of work are you doing? Because I think it's beautiful work that you guys are, are, are accomplishing. Well, thank you. I think my co-founders and I, we, we thought about a day, well, maybe we could be impacting five communities where HIV AIDS was a really big issue. And today we're in 63 mm. different communities across East Africa. These are uh, both urban and rural communities that have been selected because the amounts of material poverty and the incident rate of HIV is really, really high. And we've identified these communities. We have local staff in those communities that are implementing our programs and providing services to those who are the most vulnerable. And so we have over 180 full-time staff who are Kenyan, Tanzanian, or Ugandan who are doing the work. And, uh, and our t- small team of eight back here in the U.S. is just helping to resource uh, what's happening on the ground there. Mm-hmm. And, and how have you seen things change over like the last you know, 10, 15 years since you guys have been there? Yeah. How, how have you seen things on the ground change? Do you see the, situ- the situation on the ground trending more positive than when you guys were first starting to do your work there? Absolutely. But let me share like a, let me share a little bit of a, mic- a macro picture here, and then yeah. I'll kind of talk about it a little bit in the care for AIDS context. At a global level, I'm optimistic that the trajectory of HIV and AIDS is going in a very positive direction. That doesn't mean there aren't concerns about the future of this epidemic. And people say we're kind of at a tipping point where there's still almost 2 million new infections every year. About half of those are in the sub-Saharan African region. And although we've seen more people get access to medication, more people be tested, transmission of mother from mother to child decrease, we're still not seeing us advance to complete closure or eradication of this disease as quick as people hoped or thought. And as the just the public will to continue to support this after over 30 years in a very kind of fatigued state that we're in, um, people are worried that as our commitment wanes to the epidemic, we might see a resurgence in the future. I would say, let me speak just for Kenya for a second. We've been there the longest. We've seen the biggest transformation. We are one of many players. Um, we don't want to you know, project this was all because of Care for AIDS, but we have been a part of this community of people working in this space where over the past 12 years, we have personally seen 17,000 people that have completed our program, and they represent about 52,000 children who would have been at very high risk of becoming orphans had there not been an intervention in their parents' life. Those people have then gone out, and they've become ambassadors for HIV uh, people getting tested and treated. And so we we have built, sent out uh, an army of volunteers into these communities to help reshape perceptions and 
fight against stigma in these communities and encourage people to get tested. I'd say the biggest thing that I've seen, even in the midst of we are seeing some declining numbers in new infections, which is great. The biggest thing for me is I do think the church in the past decade has awoken to the their role that they're supposed to play in addressing this crisis. And that's not just in the 63 churches that we partner with, but we have a waiting list of churches who said we want to have this kind of program in our church because we realize that's part of our mission and mandate as a church is to do this. And so I'm encouraged that 12 years ago, we probably couldn't find five churches that wanted to invite people with HIV into their church uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, And now we've seen the tide of that shift towards a church that's more open and accepting of this population. That is beautiful. I, 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 and I, one of the things I loved how, how your organization works is that in many ways you're empowering churches to become caregivers. Um, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're really just kind of changing, not really changing, I feel like it's reminding the church of what their job is meant to be to begin with. Because I feel like you know, too often the church ends up being about the production on Sunday morning, and then the show, the lights go down and the show's over until next week. And but but what, with what you guys are doing, being able to help the church, I think recapture that that mission, that divine mandate that they are called to, especially in in their communities, uh, like in, you're mentioning in Sub-Saharan Africa. I mean, how has this changed your perspective of what churches should look like? Mm, man, what a <laughs> that's a big question, but it, it's something I've thought a lot about because. One of the reasons why we designed our program where we did is all of our centers are based inside local churches. And there's very practical, but also very spiritual reasons for that of just the church kind of embodying this place of hope and healing uh, six, the six days of the week that it's not being used as a place of worship. Uh, why are we not utilizing this amazing network of of infrastructure to deliver care to people who are the closest to the ground and who need it most. And so that very practically speaking, if there wasn't such a cultural divide in the U S where the, as they would say, as you'd say, maybe the sacred and the secular, Mm -hmm. And you can't overlap, like, and people don't aren't able to see those two interact very well. Um, we have all these amazing, you know, buildings that we've built. Arguably, that might have, you know, those resources might have been utilized elsewhere. But we we still aren't even fully utilizing uh, these places where, if we could find a way to invite people into the church, into the physical space of the church, to address more of their physical needs than just their just their spiritual need, uh, I think that could be a very um, powerful thing for the American church to be awoken to. And then I think really the end of the day, and this is probably in line of what you talk about a lot, Stuart, but just I think if we as a church could be known a lot more by what we're for and the things that we're doing to try to help our societies to heal and to get better, if that was the focal point of who the church was, I think a lot of this other stuff would fade into the background and people would know that the church is about bringing renewal into culture and they're helping in the education space and in the 
the homelessness space and the HIV space. And they're such phenomenal leaders that are bringing such transformation in those areas that these other issues that we tend to, to squabble about would become secondary. Mm-hmm. And talk, talk, I, want, I want to know too a little about how, you know, these churches that have come on board that, that begin to learn to be caregivers, um, how has it transformed their congregations? Because I, I feel like one of the things I, I've always kind of come back to is that it's really hard for people to understand what the gospel is until you start to walk it out. I feel, I feel like one thing we do in America very well is we're very good at like uh, theologizing and thinking about things almost in philosophical terms. Like I philosophically understand what the gospel is, but it's different, you know, when you're staring at someone across from you. It's different when the church begins to, to give um, to others because I feel like that's also where the church grows. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. Can you speak to that a little? Yeah, people's faith grow and the church grows in number and influence. And it is is absolutely what we've witnessed in our own program. The churches that have a Care for AIDS center in them, they become this, you know, that becomes a very winsome apologetic, if you will, to the community of this is the gospel. Uh, people who are who are hurting, who are sick who are lost, we are embracing them. We are not bringing them in under any kind of pretense of any kind of spiritual agenda. We're just here to serve you, to meet your needs. And as you want to know more, we will share with you the reason for the hope that we have Mm -hmm. in Christ. And when people see the church standing up for an issue like that, when you see them taking in the people that the community would consider to be untouchable. Um, when you see those people begin to get restored and healed physically, spiritually, emotionally, socially, economically, all of that, the church becomes a place that once again is attractive to the community and people can come back in and explore faith in a, in a way that they had kind of dismissed before because they saw the church as a very um, just, powerless institution, oftentimes corrupt to really create any kind of meaningful change. And so I think it's really just redeeming a lot of the way that people see the church. And as members of the church get involved by running programs to serve our clients or do, you know, members of the churches are taking ownership, say, I'm going to help sponsor a child of a kid in the care phrase program to go to school the church takes ownership of the program. Mm-hmm. It just it just brings the church back to life, and and a lot of these churches had have really lost that vibrancy um, because of the conditions that they they're in, and it's really just stolen a lot of the life out of the church. Mm. And it, it is a beautiful thing for communities too. I think it's transformational when you're able to to be that 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 version of Jesus to to folks that have been marginalized, for folks that have lost hope, that have lost dignity. Um, they've lost all those common things, and it, it's a huge thing to be able to offer people back their dignity and offer them hope and offer them a way out of where they're at. And it's it's transformational for the person that you're giving care to, but also to the person giving it. Um, because it is it is a beautiful, it's kind of a beautiful symbiotic relationship that, that moves forward. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I've been, I think the book, if I had to summarize the book in a theme. 
that would kind of capture the message that we were hoping to communicate, it would be this idea of redemptive relationships. And that's a term that I've, I've just used to, to talk about what is it like when we choose to enter into difficult relationships, hard relationships that require both parties to sacrifice in some way for the mutual benefit and restoration of the other party. And, you know, when I started this with Cornell and Duncan, there had to be a part of myself that felt, well, you know, I'm the American, I'm here to help. And this is what I can offer you. And then you quickly realize, as I have over the past decade, that I have benefited far more than I could have ever hoped to impart onto my co-founders. And the same goes for our partnerships with churches and our relationships with our clients who just every day just blow us away with their perspectives on, on faith and community and work and things that um, continue to challenge us. So anytime I think we can cross over these bear, these lines that are drawn um, and move into relationship with people that might require us to sacrifice something, give up something that ultimately we end up being really surprised by the blessing that we receive on the other side of that. So I, I think that's a huge theme of, of the book and a little bit what we're talking about now. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and so I, 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 you kind of, you hit, you hinted about this earlier. Um, and I want to just dig a little deeper with this. Yeah. And um, you're mentioning about redemptive relationships and, uh, kind of laying that parallel with this, with with the American church and where we're at today, and from what you have seen from the churches on the ground in East Africa and how they have been, been engaging in in redemptive relationships, you know, not I'm not specifically talking about this from a perspective of mission, like missions. Um, I'm talking of it for like how the churches in America exist in their own communities. Um, you know, mm-hmm. what is something that we can learn for how we embrace? and how we can have those redemptive relationships in our own communities here? Well, I would say, I would say uh, there's, I think there's two things. I think, I think first is, and and once again, it all goes back to, yes, the church uh, as an institution, uh, ultimately the leaders will have to, to really help communicate this, this vision, but ultimately it's as individual members of the body of the church, like we all have our own responsibility in this as well. But, you know, I think, I think the first step is, is thinking about who, who is that person that thinks, looks, believes differently than I do. And how can I pursue an intentional? And for me, that was going to Kenya, but it's also something I try to practice in my own backyard. Mm -hmm. I just, I, I want to know, people and I want to be in a tentative relationship with people who just see the world totally differently than me. And, and that helps me grow and learn. And, uh, my perspective is so broadened and I really, it softens me in a way that makes me not so, uh, arrogant in my understanding of the world. And so I, I think there's a lot of, uh, benefit for people just to say, how am I, when I look around me, am I just surrounded by a very homogenous group of people that uh, are very one-dimensional? And how do I move into a relationship across religious, racial, political lines? I think the second part of this is there are groups of people that are 
very marginalized. I feel that my work at HIV has been largely influenced on my brother who is special needs. And I talk about that in the book a little bit. And I think that whether it's people with developmental disabilities or the homeless or groups of people that for whatever reason have been marginalized from our community, those are relationships that are incredibly powerful for us to engage in, in some way in our own context and people with HIV obviously fit that description in East Africa, but even in our own uh, communities, how do we pursue those relationships as well? And if we can do those specifically, I think we'll see a ton of healing in our communities. I've, I've always heard, uh, I, I love how you're, you're expressing that because I've always heard in, in different terms of uh, like on the, for the local churches, kind of trying to figure out in your communities, where would Jesus be hanging out? Um, if he was in your community. And usually it probably wouldn't be at your church. It'd probably be somewhere where there are marginalized folks. And every community has different has different um, economic issues, different racial issues, and, and yeah, just different issues. And trying to figure out where would that, that the spirit, the heart of Christ uh, be? Um, where are those marginalized? Where are those folks that are are forgotten? Um, yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think that's exactly where... I, I use that. I love that illustration. I, I think I say that a lot to people who want to know why should we care for people living with HIV and AIDS, which um, the the uh, my understanding of that, especially in Scripture, is not that hard to connect the dots. But I do say that from time to time that I think if Jesus was here today, he'd probably spend a lot of time uh, with people who are living with HIV and AIDS. Mm -hmm. And um, and so that's why I love getting to spend time with him as well. Mm -hmm. So if people are interested, if people are interested with getting involved with Care for AIDS, um, this is the time where I get to let you shamelessly promote yourself. So this is, <laughs> so yeah, so people are interested. What are ways they can get involved? I mean, of course, I know there's probably, there's ways on the website to be able to donate money uh, and that nature. What are ways, yeah, what are ways people can partner with you guys? Well, Stuart, as we talked about before the show, this is, we are coming up right in the next few days actually on World AIDS Day. And one of the biggest things that is preventing us from seeing the progress that we wanna see is that this is still as implied or suggested by the title of my book, this is still an issue that's largely out of people's minds, especially within the church community. So one of the ways you can help uh, us and the larger fight that's going on is just to become more educated yourself about HIV and what's going on in the world today, and then share that with the the communities and the networks that you're a part of to remind people that this is something that is is still raging on. You know, obviously you mentioned on our website, there are other ways to get involved, but you can, you can find everything on carefraids.org and really find like all of our handles are pretty much carefree. So you, you can get educated and learn more about what's going on through following us on social media. Um, but we would invite you, uh, there's maybe some of you that want to go and, and, and serve and see the epidemic and meet those that are affected by it in East Africa. And um, that may not be an opportunity for every person, but for those that, that do want to do that, we have opportunities for people that want to go and help to encourage and support our staff on the ground who are doing the work every single day. And, and one way you can get, learn more about our story and the larger narrative about HIV and AIDS is to pick up the book, as Stuart already mentioned, um, called Beyond Blood. And where can, where can they find Beyond Blood? You can find it at 
of course, on Amazon. That's probably the the easiest. You can find it at Barnes and Noble, or you can ask for it at any of your local local bookstores. And there's more specific information about the book at justintmiller.com, which is a site where I have some information about the book as well. So finally, I, w- I want to ask a question too for you from your perspective, from being a guy that saw a need, um, that felt a burden for something, and that took a huge leap um, to try to go and investigate it and figure it out more. Because that was, that was kind of your calling. That's been something that's called deeply to your heart to go and do that. And there may be other folks listening to this that want to be involved in your organization or ones like it. But I'll also think that there's probably many people in communities uh, who listen to the show as well that have a burden or a desire um, to be able to help a different group or a different group of people. So I, I just want you to kind of talk about what is, for lack of better phrasing, what did it take for you to get off your ass and actually, you know, just take those steps? Because it's easy for us to be outraged or feel upset about stuff. Because we do, we live in an age of outrage right now where I think folks like to get mad at anything or feel like, you know, oh, someone should be doing something about this, where oftentimes that spiritual discontent that's in your heart that makes you upset is telling you to go and do it. Um, So from a person, yeah, that had no experience in this area to someone that has completely jumped in headfirst for 13 years doing this, what is your advice for other people about getting involved and making a difference? Well, first of all, I would say that you allude to taking some steps, and I just I would remind people that it, CareFrades has been a journey of 13 years of just a very small, faithful steps. Uh, CareFrades, you look at it today and you think, man, this 180 staff, you know, all of these centers, but it was every every day taking a step in that direction, and it was not built overnight. Clearly, it was it was, it was built over 13 years. I think for many people, that first step, it may be to get to know somebody on the the side of the other side of the issue that you're really passionate about. Uh, there may be like you may need, like I did, to go and get proximate to the people that are really suffering from whatever that issue is. And and I really it didn't become very personal to me until I was in Kenya for the first time learning about it. So that might be the first step. It's just you need to maybe know somebody that's dealing with that issue, and maybe you are personally. And then just obviously understanding as best you can, becoming a student of the issue itself and doing the hard work because the the first solution or the first thing that you think might be the thing that's going to help uh, may be totally – misplaced or misguided if you don't really understand all of the context around the issue you're trying to address. And I'm thankful that I had local Kenyan partners to help me navigate this because it is the HIV epidemic is very complex with a lot of, and so we don't want to obviously put forward, we're going to try things sometimes that are going to fail, but the more we can understand the people and the context that are affected by the, that issue, then we'll be able to build better solutions. And and sometimes that is to, to the solution is for you to start an organization. But I, I will say honestly that I looked really hard for an organization that I could join with and partner with before I created something uh, in hope, in fear that I didn't create something that was going to be just redundant with somebody else who was doing that work. So maybe the you need to start something. Um, that was my calling 
Uh, and maybe you need to join somebody that's already doing something to help address that issue because we do have a fair amount of uh, redundancy in the nonprofit space where like organizations are competing for um, the same set of resources. That's a good word. That is a good word for that, too. I think to be able to be willing to partner, be willing to listen, and to be willing to go and be in a place, um, like you're mentioning, of humility, where you are just saying, educate me. Um, I have this burden, but teach me, um, especially to those that are on the ground who know it in a different way. Well, Justin, thank you so much for your time today. And for anyone that's looking to be able to find Justin, I'm going to throw out all this stuff again. The book, Beyond Blood, Hope and Humanity in the Forgotten Fight Against AIDS, by Justin Miller, also the website careforaids.org. And was it justintmiller.com? Is it .com? It is, justintmiller.com, yes. All right. So, Justin, yeah, again, thank you so much for the work that you're doing and also just hanging out with us uh, for a little bit this afternoon today, too. So thank you, Justin. My pleasure. Thanks, Stuart. So much thanks to Justin for being on the show today and just wanting to remind you all that as we spend this introspective time of Thanksgiving. It is a time for us to begin to look within. And, and I know that it's often a very difficult time because we're living in a nation where we are very polarized and families are not really on the same page where we're viewing the world in a different way. So as I like to do, as I like to send you out, at the end of our shows, I, I kind of want to send this one out. And this is an old Scottish blessing. And it goes like this. If there is righteousness in the heart, there will be beauty in the character. And if there is beauty in the character, there will be harmony in the home. And if there is harmony in the home, there will be order in the nation. And if there is order in the nation, there will be peace in the world. So let it be. And I hope that, I hope that for all of us, that we can be a people that move towards being able to have harmony in the home, order in the nation, and peace in the world. I do want to say, let it be, let it be, let it be for all of us. And as you travel this week, or as you listen to the show and you have already traveled, I want to send you out with the holiest amount of grace and snark and peace. Because in this show today, we have heard the crazy. We have also heard instances of redemption, instances of goodness, instances where good is being done in the face of atrocity and things that could be seen as hopeless. So let us be people that lift up and give hope to the hopeless. And let that be our thanksgiving prayer, that we can go and offer blessing to those that need blessing. So as you... As we end this broadcast, just a reminder, you can catch us on podcast at www.snarkyfaith.com. If you ever have any questions, comments, criticisms, and blessings, uh, I love to hear them all. You can send me an email at questions at snarkyfaith.com. But go out into the world living like you are blessed. And let this time of Thanksgiving be a time that you are an advocate or an agent of hope 
giving people that hope of Thanksgiving when they need it the most. I'm out of here, and I'll catch you guys again next week. I'm out of here. Peace! WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors. Lumen, a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question askers, doubters, and skeptics, is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all of life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be a better day than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com.